I want to bring you greetings from the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware. That's a partnership that you are a part of, you know, 400 and some independent Baptist churches that voluntarily cooperate together for the cause of Christ, doing as little or as much as each one is led uh, to do. And because of your generous giving and uh, over the, not years, but decades, so much has been done uh, for the cause of Christ. You know, your giving uh, helps in part, of course, to support thousands of well-trained missionaries uh, overseas. And uh, as you noticed, I have been overseas a little bit. And I can tell you uh, they are well-trained. Uh, I've had missionaries from other groups come and say, uh, do you have any more information about uh, what your missionaries do? Because we don't understand how they do what they do. Uh, and they know about the gospel and stuff like that, but I don't know how to, to teach primary oral learners, for instance. Uh, and um, uh, you can be thankful to God that uh, you have a part of that. And because of your uh, cooperative giving, uh, you uh, have uh, in North America thousands of church planters and chaplains thanks to your giving and um, uh, a few thousand uh, students training to be pastors and missionaries and counselors. Uh, their uh, tuition is a little bit less uh, because of your giving, and that's good because, um, you know, we love our pastors, uh, but uh, sometimes they get older and have to be replaced, uh, which happened with me. Uh, and, um, and I'm so glad that somebody fresh, he's 27 years old when we got him, and he, my pastor's 28 now. He's really becoming an old-timer fast. Uh, and, um, uh, and you and I, in our giving, have a part in um, training them, saving a little bit of money, a little bit of money. Uh, and uh, I want to thank you for that. And, of course, part of your giving also stays right here in Maryland and Delaware and uh, pays for a very small staff of people that are specialists and experts in different areas. And, and then a few people like me that I'm not an expert in anything. I'm just a pastor. So I, I know a little bit about a lot. Uh, but I don't know a lot about really anything. Uh, so, um, but I do one thing. I, I do have the ability to speak the language of pastor. And, and so because of that, I, I have a certain usefulness. Uh, for the cause of Christ, and I appreciate uh, you all um, being part of that partnership and many, many, many uh, other things we could say uh, that God is doing through your work. I do want to just comment that, that your uh, Pastor Rod is uh, just the sweetest, if that's a nice thing to say about a man, uh, um, uh, and I think it is, uh, and a sweet uh, brother, and uh, uh, the more I get to know about him, the more I appreciate him. You know, there's some people, the more you get to know, the, the, the more you're glad you don't really have to live with them all the time. Uh, and uh, and I, I really uh, appreciate him um, um, tremendously and look forward to being together with your family a little bit afterwards. Uh, I've been, uh, I re retired in 2017, and unless I've forgotten, and I can't get forgetful, uh, this is the first time I've ever been invited to come back to the pastor's family. Now, um, I just have to say that many, many times I'm preaching in churches without a pastor. Uh, and so uh, the pastor's never going to invite me back. Uh, but I've trained my church, and I hope they're still doing it, whether they have a pastor or when they don't, that when you've got a guest speaker, always look to invite him over. I know uh, I used to always do that myself. I selfishly wanted my children to get the best of whoever our speakers were. 
And uh, from time to time, I tried to get gracious and allow others to do that too. Because, you know, there's, if you just get one time, you know, you want to make the most of it. And I know my children, my family, I have been blessed by that. And I really appreciate you all um, inviting me over. Thank you so much. Now, we are in Isaiah chapter 55 today. I have uh, tried to preach through this uh, chapter, and it's, um, uh, that would make the message much too long if I do that. And so um, uh, I'm focusing just on two verses, uh, and I'm not going to do that exhaustively either. But in, in verses 8 and 9, it, and you'd really be helped if you have your Bible open, and you know you open your Bible in the middle, and it's the Psalms, and you... Uh, and you head a, bit, a little bit uh, toward the right, toward the New Testament side, and you can find Isaiah. Uh, because uh, I want to point something out to you here that many of you may already know, but maybe there's somebody here that does not know about Hebrew poetry. And so um, verses 8 and 9, it does say, uh, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm in the English Standard Version. Uh, I, I'm not sure what translation you have, but it's not that much different, whichever one you have. Uh, uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, uh, in verse 8, you've got uh, God talking about my thoughts and my ways. And then he says, your thoughts and your ways. Uh, and in verse 9, he says, uh, uh, my ways, my thoughts, your ways, your thoughts. Do you notice there that um, there's a relationship between verse and 8 and verse 9. Uh, they relate to, to each other, and it's a poetic way, not to our ears, but to a, a Hebrew uh, speaking, listening ear. Uh, now, you know what poetry sounds like to us. And some of you think, oh, poetry. You know, uh, and you have to actually make an effort to understand poetry. And if you take an effort to understand it, which I don't take very often, but in college, I had to do it a little bit, and I, I found, whoa, there's a lot to this stuff. Somebody has to work really, really hard. And we typically, uh, at least classical poetry, and maybe not quite as much today, we like to hear the rhyme, the sounding alike of, of sounds. So roses are red, violets are blue, I like something, and so do you. Blue and you to us, that just like tickles our ear. We're like, oh, that, that sounds so pretty. And for, and for somebody to do that, you know, for, you know, verse after verse after verse after verse, wow, uh, that's a lot of effort. And we really like hearing that. Uh, and, and that's not Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry deals with the relationship between two verses. So you've got verse 8 and verse 9, or maybe two longer sections of Scripture. Uh, and what they want to hear is not the sound at the end is the same. They want to hear that the thought is the same or different. If it's different, it's antithetical. Okay. If it's the same, it's synonymous. And we recognize those words. So this is parallelism. That is that one verse and another verse uh, seem to have something in common. They, they're, they're parallel thinking, and it's synonymous parallel thinking. And you can see synonymous parallel thinking all over the place. A lot in the Psalms, uh, a lot in the Proverbs, but other places too. And to a Hebrew, they're looking for that. 
And if you look at it and find it, you'll be like my wife. Once you learn how to do this, she gets so excited because she sees it. And you see it all over the place. Uh, and that uh, helps you to realize that there's something special about this they don't want you to, to, to miss. Uh, and, and he's saying that God's thoughts and God's ways are, are, are higher than our thoughts and our ways. By the way, I'm just going to suggest, and you'll see it maybe proved later in the message, that when we think, that sets up what we're going to do. And so our ways are related to our thinking. When we're thinking something, if you tell a child to sit there and don't touch those jelly beans, well, if they think enough about that, about the jelly beans, they're going to touch them. If they think enough about your uh, instructions, maybe they won't. Because what you think about ends up being what you're, what you're doing. Uh, what you're doing. But the interesting thing that you can um, uh, typically find in this parallel poetic thinking is that those two lines have similar thought, but there's a little difference. Something is added, maybe, or switched around. In fact, even here, the first time, you know, we've got a, in verse 8, we've got a, my thoughts, your thoughts, and then it switched around, your ways, my ways. And then we go to the next one, and it's just my, your, my, your. But there's also something else added in verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. Then it gives you kind of a three-dimensional thinking about this just for a second. You know, uh, because um, I'm up here a little higher than you. And if I were to climb on top of this pulpit, which I'm not going to do, it looks very, very, very stable. Um, I think I could shake it, too. Um, I'd be higher also. Now, if I could get on top of this roof, which I'm also not going to do, I'd be higher still. And then they've got these nifty things like hot air balloons and helicopters, and we've got airplanes. And the higher you get, you know, the broader scope of what you can see, and the detail gets lost, you know, but you can see maybe the bigger picture. Uh, But here we're talking about as the heavens are higher than the earth. And, 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 you know, the heavens, uh, biblically speaking, you know, is, is the, uh, you know, you've got the sky and above that you've got the stars and the moon and above that you've got, you know, God himself. And you up, pick any of those things. But if you're just up there in the heavens, so you're up there in, uh, you know, a, something that's really, really high up there. Um, up there is so much higher than down here. And God's thinking is so much higher than our thinking. His ways are, so, it's not just like a little bit, you know. Well, God's just a little bit smarter than we are. And, you know, most people don't even get that far. Most people don't even get that far. I was doing marriage counseling with a fellow, and he wanted to do one thing, and God wanted him to do another. He wanted to do one thing, and God wanted him to do another. And I said, you know, do you believe that God thinks better than you do, that he knows more than you do? Yes. But how you're acting is like he doesn't. And I'm sorry to say that all of us, maybe even Pastor Rod, I know myself, we sometimes say, oh, God knows all things, but the way we act is, but I'm a little smarter on this one. Because we do what we want. 
But this is saying not just a little smarter, and we're not even ready to go that far. He's way, way, whole bunches, like if you're way up there beyond where the eagles fly, that much greater vision and understanding of everything. So verses 8 and 9 kind of gets that through very clearly. If I was uh, uh, going to outline this message, I would say there's three points. And the first point uh, is the what of what's going on in these verses. And the what is that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that his ways are higher than, than our ways. And that's emphasized by the poetry, by, by the symmetry, by, the, uh, by one being kind of synonymous with the other. Uh, you know, anything that's repeated in the Bible, you need to pay attention to it. And only a few places is something repeated three times, but two times, oh, a lot of times in Hebrew poetry. And so God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But secondly, I'd like to give you, uh, suggest an application of that truth that God's thinking ways are so much higher than ours. And that is that we should seek God. We should seek God while he's near. And in fact, to fill that out, this is not a succinct point at all, but to fill that out or to complete the thought is seek God while he is near to know his thoughts and his ways. We want to seek God while he is near so that we can know how he thinks and what his ways are. And we've got to do it while he's here, while he's near, rather, because you don't know what a day he's going to bring. I've just been within this, this month right now with two people uh, on their deathbed. And um, one of them didn't think it was coming. And the other one, he's been thinking it's coming for a long, long time. But he didn't know when it was going to come. Uh, and the time is not when you're on your deathbed because sometimes you don't time that right and you don't get to think it through. Um, you, you want to do that now. And sadly, I've seen so many times where people, oh, yes. In fact, Pastor Rod, it's almost like a joke in our church. If somebody comes up to me and says, I like your church, I might see him again. If they come back and say, this is the greatest church in the whole world. You're the greatest pastor I've ever heard. You know, the people, the most loving, kind. And that, that is true. The very loving and kind people they ever heard. And you're, I'm going to be here every Sunday. I just put down, I'll never see him again. I'll never see him again. You know, because that's just too much. That's so much flour, you know, that it's just not, it's not going to happen. They're not going to be seeking God at all. And I see people do that. They make a commitment. I think I'm going to be God's man. I remember a guy said that. I'm just going to be a mule for God. You tell me what to do, and I'm going to do it. I thought, this would be really interesting. Never saw him again. Never saw him again. You know, I'm going to be here every Sunday. Never saw him again. You need to seek God while he's near, because you want to get to know him. Because he is so much smarter and wiser and all-knowing. And that is an application that arises from the context. I can't preach you the whole to the psalm today. Um, but if you look at verse 6, it says there, the command is, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. You can put those things together. There's an implicit, that's explicit right there, an implicit invitation in the whole thing. If, if he's saying, hey, you know, God knows so much more, you know, he's not just saying, well, you know, feel bad because God's so smart. 
Uh, he's like saying, you know, God's way, that's the way. So find it. Find him. Learn from him. Get that way. Find that way because he thinks and acts so much better. And you might say, well, how does he expect me to do that? I'm glad you asked that question. If you didn't, you should have because the answer is in the very next verse, verse 7. If you look in there, it's how. How do you do that? It says, let the wicked forsake his way. Now, that's like repentance. That's like repentance. So it, it, repentance is an uh, 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 old word. Nobody uses it anymore, but it's a great word. Because the Greek word that that comes out of, metanoia, it means like a changing of your mind. And a changing of your mind is going to... Uh, it's going to result in a changing of your actions, which I just said. You know, you change your thinking, you're going to change your ways. And so you're living life going in one direction, and then you learn from probably the Bible or somebody quoting to you the Bible that the direction you're going in is not toward God. It's going in another direction. It seemed like a good direction. Now you realize it's not a good direction. And you're actually embracing what God doesn't want you to embrace. And so you have to forsake that. You have to repent. And it says to forsake it, or turn from it and turn toward God and embrace God. And that is what it's saying right here. Here's like repentance in the Old Testament. I've got to tell you, it's cute for me at least, uh, that we just finished Vacation Bible School. And in Vacation Bible School, um, I, I'm sitting on a chair. I allow myself to have a chair now. My back is so old. Uh, and... and uh, and the children, or my students, because my students are, are, are all just graduates from the fourth and fifth grade, and uh, they're all seated right in front of me, not this high up, but they're a little bit, little bit lower than I am. And I taught them we got to turn you know, from, and I just said, listen, I, I want you to practice repenting and just pretend that I'm sin. And I, and I said, repent, and they all loved it. They all spun around on their bottoms and faced the other way. And then I would say, all right, let's do it again. Repent again. And they'd turn around, and now they'd face me. I had a guest come in the very last night, and I said, hey, watch this. Repent. And they went, together like choreography. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what he learned, but it was cute to watch. <laughs> and here it is. Repent, or rather, forsake. Turn from that way to embrace something else. And what am I supposed to embrace? You know, well, it says in verse 7, it says the Lord, and verse 8 and 9, embrace his ways and his thoughts, verses 8 and 9. It's right there. This is like 8 and 9, really kind of central thinking, not just to the psalm. This is central thinking to godly living. We're doing this, it's not because, well, you know, it kind of looks better for that way or not. We're doing it because it actually is better, that God's ways and his thoughts, thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And the gospel is, in fact, that we all have a problem with sin. Sin, you know, is whenever you're not living as God would want, because God has no sin. So if we're not being like God, you know, there's something we're doing we shouldn't be doing or something we should be doing that we haven't done, uh, we, uh, that's sin. Uh, and we all have a problem with sin, and God has no sin in heaven, and you are not going to be the first to go up there and knock and say, hey, let me in. You know, I did a bunch of good deeds. Can you let me in anyway, even though there's nobody else is a sinner there? No, that's not going to happen. The gospel is we've got a problem with sin, and it's only through Jesus' death on the cross. And you all, as such God, uh, godly uh, Bible students, faithful students, I don't have to explain that to you. 
uh, on this particular day. You've got to, you know, forsake the old, turn from the old to embrace the new, uh, turn from Sin being the guidance of your life, doing what you feel like doing, to God being the one by his ways, his thoughts and his ways being the one that's going to guide you. And by grace, through faith in Jesus' death on the cross, you're exchanging your sin for his righteousness. Because our ways are not working. And uh, sometimes I uh, like to quote where we are right now, but I just explain to you without all the, you know, uh, some of you are a little older, some of you are not, but some of you are a little older, and you know that incomes are just increasing, increasing, increasing. We've got, uh, might even be a few here that uh, kind of remember, you know, uh, the sad times, you know, a uh, long time ago. Well, nobody would remember the 30s, but you've heard of the 30s. Your parents told you about the 30s and the Great Depression, and you realize people got so much more now than they've ever had before. And, and our ways in this country have been ways of efficiency. Uh, and, uh, and physical prosperity and greater incomes. And yet that's matched with uh, a degeneration of learning how to have a relationship. My goodness. You know, these days, people understand how to have a relationship with a little thing they hold in their hand, but they don't know how to like, talk to people. In fact, if anybody ever wanted to be married... And that's not on too many people's minds, you know, if they're watching television and social media. Um, they would have to hold this thing to know how to do it. You know, are you on there? Would you like to get married? You know, uh, it, it's a, uh, the old fashioned days we used to like look around and I'd see you and you'd see me. And uh, in my case, I walked into this church and there was my wife playing the piano up front. Uh, and I was in a military uniform. I couldn't miss her. She was right up front, and she couldn't miss me. I was the only one dressed in, uh, in a military uniform, which was seven different shades of uniform. It was OD green. Some of you might recognize that color uh, back in Vietnam-era uh, uniforms. Uh, and, uh, you know, we found each other. But today, you know, our ways have led to lots more money and so much mental illness you like we don't let's forget all the police and forget everybody and just like hire social workers to run around and hold all of our hands and that's not to say that there aren't some people that really need some biblical counseling uh, all of us need some biblical counseling all of us need some help but my goodness are we going to do it by hiring secular thinkers to teach secular stuff to all the people that are really messed up because of all the secular thinking I don't know that that's like a dog chasing his tail. It's never going to catch up with a solution at all. Well, anyway, we've got the what of this whole thing, that God's thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. We've got the application. We're supposed to seek God. And that involves at least at the first part, we've got to forsake the wrong way. And in reality, I think it was explained in the Sunday school class that we're, we're turning from sin all the time because the, uh, the older you know, we get, the more we're able to learn from God Another way that I need to change. Uh, and that's just the way it is. God's kind to us. You know, if when I turned to Christ as a teenager, if I'd have known everything I'd have to change, I think I might have been challenged whether I was going to turn to Christ or not. Uh, and he, 
you know, gently has been so loving with me, you know, opens my eyes to new things uh, and works in my life and then shows me some more. So I'm not completely discouraged by how much work. I mean, I was a mess. I'm still kind of a mess, but I was really a mess. Uh, um, and, and I'm thankful for God working that way. So, you know, we need to seek God while he's near. And, and then uh, just the why. Point number three is the why of this whole thing. There is the what, there's the application. This is the why. When our thoughts are changed, we are changed. Why should we be seeking God and his word and his ways? Because, uh, because when our thinking is changed, we're changed. Can I prove that? Oh, I think so from the Bible. We can prove that very, very easily. And I want to look, I want to uh, uh, leave uh, Isaiah uh, for a moment and, uh, uh, and go beyond that. And just in the broader context of the scripture, look at Romans chapter 12. Uh, you all, gosh, you're such good Bible students. I was impressed with your Bible knowledge. Uh, some of you know more than I know. <laughs> Maybe all of you know more than I know about the Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. These are very familiar verses to you. Um, it's at Romans 12, 2. says, do not be conformed. You know, be shaped by... Uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, there it is. God wants us to be changed, and he wants us to be changed by our thinking. And, of course, when our thinking changes, then we are changed. But we are changed. You're going to become different people because our thinking has changed. And so um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with doing this. Maybe somebody here was an addict or helps addicts, but I've worked with addicts. And uh, I, I Celebrate Recovery is something that we have used. And Celebrate Recovery you know, has a couple of things. And one of them is you've got to be able to open up and tell what's going on, what your need is. And another one is you've got to let God into this whole thing. And what we do is we talk about the Bible. And why do we talk about the Bible? Because God's thinking and his ways are higher than our thinking and our ways. And if we can change our thinking, it'll change our ways. So you've got to change somebody's thinking so they can change their ways. Now, I have not been that kind of an addict, a drug addict or an alcoholic, but they tell me that it takes like two years. I can be dry and I still think like an addict. And I think that's probably right on. And, and we're that way too. You know, there's people that stopped smoking a long time ago. addicted to the nicotine and they can just say, well, but I could taste one. Now, in God's kindness, many don't have that problem, but it's for a while. Sometimes you still feel like doing that. You know, if you had wrong habits with eating or video games or anything, it takes a while to get that out of your system. You know, but as you change your mind, you change your thinking, then, you, you know, your ways change. And so when our thoughts are changed, we are changed. I, I wanted to read to you also uh, from James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1. I love James when I was... When I was young, I hated, or I shouldn't say hate, but I disliked reading James because James always, like, got me right between the eyes every time I read him. I mean, everything in James is what I struggled with. Uh, and so I could tell whether I was walking with Jesus or not because if I hid from James, I wasn't walking with Jesus. If I said, oh, yeah, I can read James, oh, that, I was walking with Jesus then. The Spirit was in control of me if I was able to, to, to read James. And James chapter 1, verse 21 says this, um, it says, therefore, and you've got to read all the stuff before that to know why, you know why we're able to do this now, but because those things are true, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, that's changing of the ways, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So, so God's word, amen. God's word, God's thinking 
God's ways and God's word tells us that is able to to change our soul, to change our heart. To, this is how we get saved. This is how we get saved. I say, you know, I'm saved. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 10. Uh, Romans chapter 10. Uh, you know, I'm saved, but I just don't have much faith. Oh, you want more faith? Romans 10, 17. And many of you know that. Some of you could even quote that probably. Uh, so Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I'm going to go back toward Isaiah in case you're trying to keep up with me. Um, uh, but I, I, I just want to comment on those three verses from the larger context of all of the Bible. You know, we see that how do we get saved? How do we get changed to start with so that the Spirit of God comes into our life? We get changed to start with through the Word of God. Well, how do we grow in our faith so we, we can trust him for more? Oh, the Word of God. How are we going to change all of our actions, even the most serious things that you can imagine? You know, addictions and all kinds of problems that, you know, uh, people, uh, you know, if their thinking's there and they're able to make decisions like this, that they're choosing the wrong way, choosing the wrong way. Well, even there, even there, Romans 12, too. It's going to be by changing thinking. And we want to change thinking from God's word. And it's because in Isaiah 55, 8, and 9, God's thoughts and God's ways are so much higher than our thoughts and our ways. But if we can, if we can from the word, we can learn more about his thoughts and his ways. We can get saved. We can grow in faith. We can be transformed from people that are angry, angry people to the most mellow, comforting, patient, impatient people to patient self-centered to other-centered, giving to uh, people, stingy to generous, you know, not wanting to be a father or a mother or a married, ready to do all of those and finding, I don't know if you've seen this is true, but, you know, we sometimes limit ourselves. I don't want to do that. It's outside of my comfort zone. Comfort zone, that's not biblical, you know. I don't want to go there. It's outside of my comfort zone. There's almost nothing I do right now that when I was a teenager was in my comfort zone. I forgot it. I fought it all. In fact, one of the things I fought was I didn't want to be a pastor. Anything but that God. And when you're saying anything but that, it's sometimes a sign that that's exactly what you're supposed to do. Why are you focusing on only one thing you don't want to do? Is because that's what God wants me to do. And that's what I didn't want to do. I don't like talking to people. I don't have anything to say. If I stand up front, I, I want, it's not going to work. I can just tell you, uh, everything I do is what I didn't want to do. It's all out of my comfort zone. And the greatest blessings in my life are all in those areas where I was willing to do what God wanted me to do outside of my comfort zone than my own thinking. How can my own thinking be so far off? Isaiah just told us. Because God's thoughts and God's ways are higher than our thoughts and our ways. I was trained and had a degree and thought I was pretty smart. But not a candle can I hold to God. That's why we need to get to know his thinking and his ways so that we can be the men and women, the boys and girls that he wants us to be. And it starts with the word of God helping us to learn how to repent and to trust in him. And there's so much competition about that, isn't there, out there? I mean, you know, people wake up and there's just screens all over the place. There's screens here and there's screens there. Uh, I've got a screen on my kitchen counter, but it's a it's a little Google thing that has, so I can find out the temperature. I can just ask it. Isn't that cool? It just tells me. Out the, you know, when's it going to rain? Oh, it tells me it's going to rain. And sometimes even right. But it's got pictures of all my grandchildren on that just rotate. 
thousands of photos just rotating. So I, I don't want to look at all the other stuff that I could find on the Internet. I, I see my grandchildren. That keeps me focused on you know, good things. But most people, they're, you know, like their cell phone and their, their computer and their television and just go from screen to screen to screen to screen. And if you have to walk from one screen to another, put something in your ear so at least you can hear it. Uh, and that's what they do. That's what they do. And there's nothing wrong with those screens or the things right here, except if it's more important than God. And there's something very, very wrong with all of it. Well, I wanted to come back to the close context right in here, uh, right in Isaiah 55. And that is verse 11, the promise of verse 11, which is also a preacher and a teacher's promise. If I'm just telling what's on my heart and on my mind, I got no promise anything good's going to happen. But if I can focus on what God says, then what does it say here in Isaiah 55, 11? So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, void, not doing anything, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God has a purpose for that. And doesn't that... Isn't that a great promise to follow? That God's thoughts and God's ways are so much higher than ours. So if we can use the word of God to communicate the thoughts and the ways of God, it's going to accomplish the purpose of God. And you can't ask for any more than that. And so uh, I, uh, we see that the Bible is intended as God's word. We can call the Bible God's word. Some people say that is intended to change us so that we can learn who God is and be more like him rather than what we're like. Now, I want to just quote you quickly a story from the book, The Insanity of God, uh, pseudonym author Nip Ripkin. Has anybody here read The Insanity of God? Okay. That's a, well, it's an insane book anyway. If you ever get, it's a great book. But let me tell you, the first half of that book is the worst book I've ever read. Everybody dies. All the Christians die. It's just terrible. Now you've been forewarned. But I kept hanging in there, and the second half of the book is the most miraculous movements of God using his word to change people's lives that you could ever assemble in one place, or at least the, the biggest one that I have seen assembled in one place. And in here, this interviewer who's a missionary going around the world learning these things He's, ask, he's talking to, how contemporary is this, Ukrainian and Russian, except that they're not fighting each other at this time. They, they had in common that they'd both been persecuted for nearly 100 years, those groups of people, the Ukrainians and the Russians. Many people have been persecuted. And so that, you know, it's, if, if you follow the communist government, it's fine. But if you, like, do your own thing and you're going to read and pray in your house, you're not allowed to do that. If you start teaching your children the Bible, they'll take the children away. And if they find that you're like, too excited about this, they'll never let you go to college. They'll take away your job. Uh, they, you won't be cared for whatsoever. They're, they'll dissolve your family and spread them out. It's just terrible, terrible things they did. And yet, the gospel changed lives, and people survived that. How could they survive it? In fact, that's what the author of the book asked them. How could this happen? How could you remain strong? How did you, you know, how did you learn to live this way so close to Jesus? And they told them, we learned it from our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers. We learned it from our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers. We learned how to trust in God and how to survive persecution. Well, then the missionary made a mistake. He asked them, 
I, you know, he said, I've never heard stories like this. Why have you never written them down so we can have them? And the guy that he was asking, was an older man, you know, put a hand on that missionary and said, son, when did you stop reading your Bible? He said, God's story already tells all of these things. Why would we write down our stories, which are amazing, when you've already got God's stories, which are also amazing because it tells the guy who has, uh, the person who has uh, thoughts and ways so much higher, higher than ours. He, 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 you know, you, you must not be reading your Bible because the Bible is what our mothers and our fathers and our grandmothers and our grandfathers and our great-grandmothers and our great-grandfathers used to teach us. And in those days, it was illegal to have a Bible. So you might have a one-page copy. You may only have what was memorized in your mind, and yet that was enough to pass on to the next generation. So my question after talking all about this, of course, is for me and for you, where are you this day in your discipline of absorbing God's word? By, and God bless you, you're here right now. You, uh, many of you were listening to the teaching of the word in Sunday school. If you're not, you can, you're allowed to do this. Still, I think you're allowed to come. Uh, and to, to worship, you're all here right now, spending a lot of time in prayer and singing, and, uh, which is all, uh, you know, biblical. Uh, and, and then listening to the word of God, you're absorbing that. But are you starting each day, you know, with that? Uh, you know, are you memorizing it? Are you in a Bible study? And, and when you're doing it. I know I've read the Bible, and I'm very, usually very, very faithful to read the Bible. And I'm reading, and I get done. And now, I, you know, check that box. And, and like, if you'd ask me, what did you just read? Because I've asked my, I get done, and sometimes I've thought, what did I read? I don't know anything I read. And I've got to go back and read it again. Have you ever done that? And, and you know, uh, and I'm a pastor. And I found I was studying to teach everybody everything. I wasn't reading it all for myself. And I had to change my habits. You know, and I think if you're like me, you know, every so often you got to kind of, you know, uh, get your attention and let's pay attention to it again. Uh, you know, I've always paid attention to God's word, but now I've kind of drifted away and I get excited about it. Like drinking your cup of coffee again in the morning. You know, all right, oh, oh now, yeah, now I'm thinking again. And you just, you do it and you do it. And yet in our weakness, sometimes we get so used to it, it becomes mundane instead of this is the word from the God who's up there higher than the heavens are above us. That's his thinking and his ways above our ways. And what a privilege you and I have that we have access to Bibles and we can use them. So where are you in your discipline of absorbing God's word? And, of course, I would just say, just in case there's somebody here that's never had their life changed in Christ, changed by Jesus, that would be the very first need. And, you know, we've got a deacon and a pastor here and others. And if you're a new person, somebody brought you, you can ask them. That's the first thing we need to learn in God's word. So then we can get serious and let that word change us. And I want to pray right now for you, for me, that that would be happening in our lives. Let's pray. Gracious Father. Uh, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for Catonsville Baptist Church, which has honored and obeyed and lived by the word of God for decade after decade after decade and, and generously given for missionaries to take out that word and lovingly shared that word in that lifestyle with their friends. Lord, bless us first that we would stay fresh in remembering this is your word about your person. And that your 
thinking and your ways are so much higher than ours. And that we might be excited about that as we've been many times before. And then because of that excitement that we might uh, be open to you pointing to us and prayerfully asking who needs my encouragement, who needs the gospel that I know. And help us, Lord, in a kind way, in a loving way to help others to find Jesus or live him in him. And we pray that to your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.